It is Tuesday, August 17th. This is the Macro Setup. I am Guy Adami. I'm joined by my dear friend, Dan Nathan. Today's episode is being brought to you by our presenting sponsors, IGUS, one of the fastest growing Forex dealers in North America. And oh, by the way, we're going to be joined later by the great Daniela Subin Hawthorne, market analyst with IG. And of course, Open Exchange, they manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. Dan, you can see I'm all exercised. What's the word you want to use? How are you? Wait, you're exercised because you had a market that closed at an all-time high. They're throwing everything they got at this thing. It's domestic. It's geopolitical. We got macro assets of all sides moving around. But the stock market here in the U.S. doesn't care, right, guys? So we're down, what, 50 bips today as we're taping this on a Tuesday after that rip-roaring close uh, on, you know, like a Monday afternoon. I, do you get it? I don't get it. I don't really I don't get it. get it. I haven't gotten it for a while, but it's, you know, <laughs> to your point, it seems to care today. And they're obviously, want to look at the three things that we're watching today, Dan, because yeah. I do think they're interesting. We call them Guy and Dan's top three. I mean, we're not that creative. <laughs> Maybe we'll get creative over the next few weeks, but obviously the market breadth, and we're going to look at a tweet from Liz Ann Saunders that speaks to that. The Delta lockdowns and the weakening data, forget about number one for a second because we're going to discuss that, but the Delta lockdowns are real. And this weakening data, Dan, this is something that you've actually been talking about the potential for. Now it's all coming to fruition and we're seeing it. So maybe the transitory things that we've talked about are in fact transitory, but what sticks out to you here, Dan, Nathan? Well, I, I do think that as we're talking about lockdowns again, one of the reasons that we've had all of these um, kind of input costs, like, you know, we, we've had these bottlenecks, as the Fed has called them, in global supply change, right? You know, throughout the last year, year and a half or so during um, the quarantine periods here. And, you know, I mean, listen, we have seen some of those pressures abate, but we're going back into lockdowns. Maybe the, some inventories were starting to build and we might see, um, you know, fits and starts. I think that's mm -hmm. been my take, Guy, over the last three, four months when, you know, a lot of economists and strategists were saying that these bottlenecks are going to lead to pricing higher pricing that sticks. And I just don't buy it, especially the way our global supply chains work, work once we get back to some sense of normalcy. Yeah, listen, the data, if if you think rates are going higher, you've seen data to support that. I mean, we saw CPI yeah. last week, which is extraordinarily hot. And then you see data on the backside that supports rates going lower in the transitory nature that you're speaking about. So it is. I mean, this is the, the doc, if you're a Dr. Doolittle fan, which I know you are, this is the push me, pull you market that we find ourselves in. And the Delta lockdowns look are real. The question is, as the market learned how to, as the market learned how to deal with it, my, I would submit it probably has. I mean, we saw some comments out of Southwest Air a week and a half or so ago. Yeah. A lot of companies now are using this as I don't want to say air cover necessarily, but you're starting to see more and more of it in terms of some of the commentary you're seeing. So it's real. But the first thing we want to look at, obviously, is the market breadth. And Liz Ann Saunders does a tremendous job, and she put out a tweet, I believe, yesterday. But this chart speaks to exactly that. You have a market that continues to grind higher. But underneath the hood, as you've said a number of times, things aren't what they appear to be. Objects in the rearview mirror may have may are bigger than they appear, Dan Nathan. Yeah, no, I like this tweet here. It says only 40% of the NASDAQ members are above its 200-day moving average compared to 84% for the S&P 500. That's a massive spread, she's saying, but the NASDAQ is only trailing the S&P 500 by 
four percentage points year to date. Um, you know, listen, we kind of know what's going on here. You know, there's a lot of poor um, performance in a lot of different groups in the NASDAQ, but you have five names, Microsoft, Apple, Google, Amazon, Facebook, that make up 45% of the weight of the NASDAQ 100. And then you have lot, all these high valuation groups that have had big runs since May, but are still down considerably um, on the year. And if you think about what we're measuring that against the 200-day moving average, it just shows weakening breath in the NASDAQ. Now, those same five names make up about 25% of the S&P 500. But I guess that, that some of these rotations that we've been talking on the macro setup for the last few months, we saw rotations back into banks. We saw them into home builders. We saw um, some retail really form up. That's how S&P number. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it was Shakespeare or Jim Croce that said a picture is worth a thousand words. But when you look at this, this illustrates exactly what we've been talking about. The fact that the market continues to grind higher, but it's really manifested on the back of you know a handful of different stocks. And underneath the surface, we're really not seeing the strength that you would want to see in order for this market to continue to grind higher, which brings us to the S&P 500 chart. Because this really speaks to this lower left to upper right. We're right in the middle of that channel right now, 4,400-ish, ish, sort of the lower end of the trend line that you drew. But again, as I've mentioned a number of times, that 200-day moving average is increasing each day by about five points. We have said we're probably going to see it around 4,000 over the next week or so. Well, 200-day moving average is, in fact, 4,000. You can do the math. But here we are in the middle of the channel. The question really is not the fact that we are, you know, moving into significant uptrend, but what's going to break it? And I think that's what everybody's been trying to figure out. You know, and maybe it is maybe what's going on in Afghanistan, maybe with some of the rhetoric out of China, maybe that's it. I don't know. Um, but there's certainly headwinds out there to be concerned about right now. The market doesn't seem to be. Yeah, it's interesting. That, listen, here's the thing. We're just talking about breath and we're saying the S&P 500 much better than the NASDAQ here. But you just see that the incremental gains that we're seeing, you know, up 18 percent on the year, it just seems like they're just crawling here. Right. And so your point, Guy, about what breaks it above that resistance level or what breaks it below. Mm-hmm. I'll just tell you this. You know, it's been nearly 200 days since we've had a 5 percent peak to drop decline. Go look at that downdraft that we had in July. It lasted for a few days. It was like three and a half percent. And that was when the Delta variant fears were really starting to kind of hit at least some of the guidance or some of the commentary that we were seeing about out of companies that really expected to be out of the woods by now. Right. And so that 200 day down there at 4,000 with, you know, at 4,450, you can do the math. Guys, that's a 10 percent correction if we get back there. And, and so we need to see a confluence of events. Right. We need to see bottlenecks starting to increase. You're hearing all this um, talk about the ports like L.A. ports the backups there or whatever. I think there's inventory ready to hit the shores. We just need to have demand for it right now. And you mentioned that hot CPI number, strip out autos. And I do believe that that's going to be transitory guy. And there's other things related to some of the supply uh, demand dynamics there as it relates to um, CPUs that go into them, the chips that go into them. I think you're going to have that data start to look weaker or decelerating. So to me, I think you have a decelerating economy here. And maybe that's the thing that causes a retest of that 4,200 level. Yeah. And as we take a look at the S&P equal weight, I just want to mention, obviously, you know, we saw some we saw some chatter out of some Fed officials yesterday where said, you know, we're going to talk about we're basically going to announce our taper in September and we're going to implement it in October. Now, whether that comes to fruition or not, we'll see. And obviously, the devil's in the details in terms of how much they do the taper. And by the way, regardless of what they do, their balance sheet, the Fed's balance sheet will probably continue to increase. But that's something that the market doesn't seem to care about. 
now. We'll see. But the equal weight, I think this tells the story as well, Dan. I mean, obviously, we've seen a significant move higher in the broader markets. We have a little bit of a breakout here in the equal weight, but is it a false breakout? And what is this telling you? Because in my estimation, this is really the thing that we need to look at. And it really speaks to what Lizanne Saunders' suite was about. Yeah, there's two false breakouts that I think are really important for the broad market guy. One of them was Amazon. And we know that that broke out to a new all-time high after a very long consolidation going back to September 2020. And why are we talking about a single stock on the macro setup guy? Because it was one of those mega names, right? It was one of those like nearly $2 trillion market cap names. And to me, to have a stock break out of a long range like that, you and I were like, that prior resistance is likely to become support for a very long time. But then the stock sold off 13, 14% in in the last few weeks after their earnings on fundamental news. And that's what's really important. You had a technical breakout that looked, if you didn't know anything about the company or the fundamentals, you'd like, that was very impressive. But then the fundamental news took it down. We also saw that in the SMH, that's the ETF that tracks semiconductors, obviously a very important input to a lot of things that's going on in the economy. And again, Break down there, break out, break down. Let's see what happens with this equal weight. We know that Amazon is a weight here. I think on the counterbalance to that, you have Apple making new all-time highs. Mm-hmm. That market cap at $2.4 trillion is kind of counteracting a lot of bad uh, performance in the uh, market-weighted one. Yeah, you mentioned the S&P 500, a 10% correction would bring us down to that 200-day moving average. As it turns out, a 10% correction would bring us down to the 200-day moving average here as well. And the last time we saw that was in September uh, we are on August 17th, as I mentioned. We'll see if history repeats itself. I'm, I'm suggesting that we probably will. We'll see. But I take a look, obviously, slide it early, as they say, to our next chart, because this is really interesting. This is, in fact, the NASDAQ. And this is that little trend line you drew, that uptrend line, seemingly broke. We'll see if that is uh, interesting at all. But 14,000 for a lot of reasons. And that is, you know, significantly low right now. But 14,000 really is the interesting number to me, Dan. Obviously, the 200-day moving average, we shouldn't even talk about it because it's 13,450 thereabouts. Yep. I mean, that seems light years away, but you know, in the NASDAQ, light years can happen relatively quickly. Yeah, there's a couple lines that you just referenced there, Guy. I think that uptrend from the May lows, that was um, you know, a really um, nicely formed uptrend here, but we're kind of you know meandering and we kind of broke in below it a little bit. It's just for you guys, and we spend a lot of time on the macro setup talking about charts because we know that helps inform a lot of the levels that a lot of you guys trade. We use them too. You know, that breakout level, again, from June, that was significant, right? So if you're thinking about, okay, things are a little frothy, some of the macro data is is not particularly great. I'd love to find a spot to reload on the NASDAQ because mm-hmm. I really believe in those names. That 14,000 breakout low, that's where you want to do it here. You know, Granted, we are in a little bit of a consolidation. This could break higher. But with some of these stocks that have um, led this index of 100 stocks up so much on the year, you know, I'm not sure they can just break out and go parabolic from here before they have a little bit of a pullback. And I think to look, you know, just to give you some context, we'll look at a 10 year chart just to sort of put things in perspective here. I mean, you know, you can see, I mean, it doesn't, you don't really need need me to say much here. You can see we've been in this lower left to the upper right. The only difference is the last couple of years, we've had sort of this parabolic move, moves that we really haven't seen that much of in the last decade or so. We saw that parabolic move, obviously, off the March, February, March 2020 lows. One has to wonder, you know, is that revisit of the 200-day moving average inevitable? It's been inevitable for a decade. Is it inevitable now? 
Yeah, that log chart is truly amazing when you think about up 100% uh, or a little more from the lows of the pandemic in 2020. And again, you know, it's five companies that won the pandemic for all intents and purposes. They make up nearly $10 trillion in market cap. And I really wanted to use this chart because it just shows you how far we are up Mm -hmm. above that long-term uptrend and how close it looks to the 200-day moving average. So a 10% move can happen like that, people. And I just remember, I just remind you to go back to the price action that we saw in August 2020 and what happened in September 2020. The stock market sold off the S&P and the NASDAQ about 10%. And some of those biggest names were down 20%. So they were two times the performance and it happened very quickly. And I think the sentiment was not too different. I think people thought we were going to rage into year end last year before we had that correction. That was a good finger snap. It reminds me of the Adams family, which I happened to watch last night as I was sort of channel surfing. That's neither here nor there. Yeah, let's take a look at the most economically sensitive group, obviously, the small caps. And this has not been able to get out of its own way since January. I mean, effectively since January. We're in August now, and this has been sideways. Yes, we've seen some moves to the upside, but you go back and look, we're basically where we started the year, Dan. And we are within whisper of the 200-day moving average, which I find fascinating. Because I would submit, and I'm not suggesting I'm right, but I would submit that the two, that the Russell, the small caps, the RTY leads the broader market by about a month and a half, two months. Are we on the verge of seeing something here, Dan? Well, you know, you and I have been talking about this, and what what was interesting was the outperformance, right? Once we got the the uh, vaccine news back in early November and the election news, that sort of thing. I mean, the small caps just ripped, and they were trading very poorly relative to their large cap um, brethren here. But you know, that outperformance over that few month period, October, November, December, uh, January, has just given way to this long consolidation. And it's also interesting, guy, that the last all-time high that confirmed that in the S&P and the NASDAQ was back in mid-March. And what happened in big March? That's when the 10-year Treasury yield mm-hmm. kind of topped out a little bit. So again, we drew a, a pretty simple line. It looks like a double bottom. If you look at uh, March to July here, that 200-day moving average, we're almost there. You know, Should that be support? Sure. But I think a breakdown in the Russell after this long consolidation, you might see the S&P and the NASDAQ play a little catch-up. Next thing we want to look at, obviously, is crude oil, because that speaks to, I think, everything that we've talked about sort of manifesting itself and what's going on in crude oil. I mean, that we started sort of with the Liz Ann Saunders, but the, we talked about economic data. We talked about the variant, the shutdowns. Well, it's manifesting itself in the price of the commodity. Here we are at this line, Dan. But I got to tell you something. Chris Vecchio has talked about this. I know you have for a while. That 200-day moving average, which I thought we wouldn't see for quite some time, you know what? It's right in the crosshairs now. And one has to wonder if crude were to trade down to sort of $60, what's that going to mean? Not necessarily for the broader market, but what does it mean in terms of this recovery trade that everybody has pinned their hopes on? Well, I guess what it means is you see money kind of go into some of these more defensive mega caps, and that's tech again. And then that's why we we spent a little time on that NASDAQ chart of the NDX here, because I do think if you had a broad market sell-off where people, everyone hits the sell button at the same time, I think at support, you'll see money come into those. I'm not sure you see it in some of these industrial commodities, especially if you shut down places. And I know you and I were talking about it before, if Australia and uh, New Zealand are 
they're going to shut down over one case. We know that the Chinese are doing some kind of um, lockdowns as it relates to the variant. Also, um, you're just going to see just economic data that's just going to get get pushed out, right? And if you are seeing deceleration, now you start to contemplate, okay, what does a weak start to 2022 look like? And I think things like crude oil probably have um, you know support at lower levels than that where they do right now. But that cluster back in March, April, in the high 50s, 60s makes some sense when you look at, um, from a technical standpoint, the 200-day moving average down there. We are 10 months into the macro setup. That is the first time I think anybody has mentioned New Zealand on this. I appreciate you, Dick, because I know Daniela is going to have, a, I think, a dollar yeah. Kiwi chart that we're going to look at. But you know, I, I don't I, I'm not a big buyer of things, as you know, and I've never been to China. But for we're going to take a look at China retail sales and that's coming in a Liz Young. By the way, Liz Young does a tremendous job. You see her often on the closing bell. You see her on the halftime report. She's obviously made the move to SoFi, but she put out a tweet yesterday. And I think this is interesting as well. And again, this sort of backs up a lot of things you've been saying, Dan. Yeah, international forces weighing on equities and pushing the 10-year yield back down to the low 1.2s. It's right now about 1.25%. Misses in China economic data, retail sales, industrial production, adding to concern over damage from the Delta variant here. And so again, you know, China was one of those economies that came out of this first. They locked down very aggressively. The reason uh, for a lot of those supply chain bottlenecks happened because of the China lockdown. Them coming out gave a lot of other developed countries a you know, a bit of enthusiasm about what we might see in the back half of 2021. I'm just telling you this with a month or so, month and a half left in Q3 here, it seems like the back half data is going to be weaker. We've already seen it here in the U.S. a little bit. You mentioned that CPI. That doesn't seem like that's a rip-roaring good thing, right? If you think about um, all the other decelerating data here, we've already seen Q3 GDP being notched down here a little bit. The jobs data, while I know a lot of people in July were really excited about it. There's some things under the hood that weren't particularly great. So you get my gist here, Guy Adami. I mean, I'm not sure it's kind of global reflation trade off to the races. And I bring people back post-financial crisis, 2010, 11, and 12. You remember the obsession with a double-dip recession and what that might mean for the economy, Guy? I do remember it because you remind me of it seemingly every single day, but I appreciate that. You said something's got to (laughs) give. Well, that was, a, listen, as you know, Diane Keaton should have stopped making movies, in my opinion, after The Godfather, because she should have dropped the mic. But some of her movies post-Godfather were tremendous. Something's got to give being one of them. Uh, Jack Nicholson, why do I mention that? Because the next chart, something's got to give, and that's a tenure. Here we are at sort of 125, 126 as we're taping this. I'm not really sure. We obviously traded down to 114. We bounced significantly. We almost got up to 138, I think, on the back of that CPI. Now here we are again. Yields are moving. They don't know what they want to do. And maybe they're going to figure it out when we hear from some of these Fed officials. And to my earlier point, you know, what are they saying about the potential announcement of a taper in September and possibly starting that taper in October? Maybe that doesn't matter. Maybe it just comes down to when they're going to start raising rates. And we seem to be a long ways away from that. But the taper talk is out there right now, Dan. 
totally out there. And it's coming at a really weird time, guy, when the Delta variant, I mean, we were expecting a lot of strategies that we follow. We're saying by September, we should be out of the woods, but we're seeing in other parts of the world. And it reminds us how interconnected our economies are. I just think that chart is pretty fascinating. We're back below that 200-day moving average. We know that that 1.13% or so double bottom July, early August is technically really, really important here. And I wonder, Guy, if we have this Jackson Hole Symposium, we have a September Fed meeting, that maybe it just gives the Fed cover despite hot CPI. Um, we did see some weakening um, home builder data, um, which is causing Home Depot lows. Some of these home builders to be down three, four, five percent today. So as uh, the dude once said, it's a very complicated case mod. There's a lots of ins, a lots of outs, a lot of what have you's. Well, the dude abide though, Dan. That's yeah, really what that's it comes true. to. You didn't think I knew what that was about. Nah, I got you. Listen, buddy. Daniela, listen, lovely to have you. This is your maiden voyage with Dan and I in the macro <laughs> setup. Welcome. You've listened to what we've been waxing poetic about. You feel free to make fun of me, but any of some of the thoughts before we look at your charts as to some of the things that Dan and I were just talking about. Hi guys. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, I feel like this talk about something's going to give is, is definitely very interesting. I mean, if you look at the stock market, you kind of question yourself, what's going to happen now to see some kind of downside reaction? I mean, it kind of brings me back to that saying that stocks always go up, but you've got to have a really good reason to be bearish on uh, on stocks. So even when we saw weakening data, we've seen it come out of China, we've seen it come out of the US, we have Delta concerns, we have geopolitical tensions, we have restrictions coming in again. Hey, we had the Michigan consumer sentiment out on Friday. You saw the dollar week on that. You saw yield week on that. What the stock market do? Pretty much nothing. So I feel like it's a situation where what's going to happen to see this reaction? It's interesting that you were pointing out small cap stocks. Um, and I feel like that's where we are going to see the first handoff reaction. And that has been stagnating recently. But yeah, I feel like it's, there's a lot of confusion. Um, rightfully so, as to what's really driving stocks at this point, because they seem to be bouncing back pretty quickly after some kind of small correction. It's been fascinating to watch. And listen, you're going to get to know me a little bit in terms of some of my non sequiturs. And some fruits are very easy to eat. Like you pick up an apple, you just bite into that. Some fruits are could not be more frustrating. I find pomegranates to be extraordinarily frustrating. But one of the ones that frustrates me a great deal is the kiwi. Aha, way to go, guy, because the first chart we're going to look at is the New Zealand dollar. People call it the Kiwi against the U.S. dollar. Tell us why this matters. We, Dan and I obviously talked about that one case um, creating a bit of a lockdown. What are your thoughts here on the Kiwi? Yeah, I've been watching this pair for a while now, and mostly on the base of their central bank. So the RBNZ, they've been one of the first major banks to sort about, talk about tapering. They did that a few months ago. There was talks about them tightening. We have a meeting tomorrow uh, or overnight for us. Um, and there was calls for, I think, rates to go up 75 basis points by the end of the year. So I think the main risk here for the New Zealand dollar, and especially for this pair, is for the RBNZ to confirm that they are less bullish than we were expecting based on this single one case. So it might be a bit dramatic for us for a lockdown for one case. I mean, in Europe, in the U.S., We've literally got 300, 400 new cases a day, and we're just getting on with our lives. So for them to do that is quite dramatic, but that's their way of doing it. They've been doing that at the beginning, both Australia and New Zealand. And Australia had the same situation a month or two ago where they had one case, and then that escalated. So I think uh, Jacinda Ardern, the prime minister, she already said from the beginning she'd rather go big and then 
bring it down than have to regret not doing something sooner. So when it comes to the, the currency, I don't think it really changes much of the outlook of the economy. I mean, one case, lockdown for three days, okay, seven days in Auckland, that's where the case was identified. It doesn't really say much to GDP. It doesn't really change much the outlook of the economy. But there have been calls by some uh, big economists this morning saying that they're scaling back this expectation of a rate hike. I mean, the meeting is in less than 12 hours. You would expect the central bank to, to make this kind of decision and the policy committee to discuss this at least two or three days in advance. So for me, these economists saying that this rate hike, that it was priced in 100%, even a 20% chance of a 50 basis point rate hike, that has now been brought down to 85% of a 25, um, 25 basis yeah. point. Uh, so it's a massive change from these economies. And I think you've seen that in the Kiwi, you can see there in the, in the daily chart, it's fallen back quite significantly. And it's gone back into this support area that's been quite prominent over the last two months or so. So it's going to be a very interesting meeting. And it's going to depend a lot on how the central bank is able to, able to project their expectations and how their message comes across. I don't know if you guys yeah. have really... Yeah, well, you know what, Danielle, it's interesting because, you know, in, in the U.S. here, there's so much focus on the Fed making a policy error. And what really a lot of economists and strategists, when they speak to that, they really mean staying too dovish for too long. Right. And letting kind of asset bubbles inflate. And I think your commentary right there um, is really interesting because. What if we are about to have a double dip? What if we are about to have a series of um, lockdowns in parts of the world? I agree with you, what you're saying about in the UK and parts of Europe, in the US, we are not locking down again. Something would have to happen very severe uh, to happen or, you know, for that to happen. But it goes back to some of those economic bottlenecks, right? And so the Fed might have the cover here in the US, um, you know, really, Guy, and I know you have something to say about this, if they indicate that they're going to start tapering bond purchases from 120 down 10 billion, let's say every meeting. And that starts at some point in September, October or whatever. It doesn't really mean anything. It's not going to increase the chances of a rate hike anytime before early 2023. Do you agree with that, Guy Adami? I do agree with that. And it was we talked about that last night on Fast Money with Steve Leisman, the fact that they could taper 10, 15 billion a month and their balance sheet would continue to increase. So yeah. And and this time around, they're doing a good job. At least they're trying to do a good job and sort of uh, putting it out there for the market, uh, tempering expectations, those types of things. So I think they're being very thoughtful in some of the language that they're using. I don't think the market particularly <clears throat> cares. To your point, Dan, it's all about the rate hike. But I don't know if you ever watched the movie, Danielle. What's that movie uh, with Ralph Macchio, the one where he plays a, a, the karate kid? What was the name of that movie, Dan? Yeah, it was called The Karate Kid. <laughs> there you go. It was actually called The Karate Kid. I mentioned yeah. that because what, one of those things was like wax on, wax off. And in terms of the dollar yen, it's risk on, risk off, which is our next chart. And, you know, <clears throat> people look at dollar yen as sort of a risk parameter thing. You know, people getting aggressive in the market or not. And dollar yen speaks to exactly that, Daniela. Yeah, I feel like it's a very, very interesting trade. From my point of view, I think the dollar is a very crowded trade at the moment. There's a lot going on. Um, and I feel like we've seen this in the last few sessions where there's been kind of a flight to safety to the Japanese yen because there's a, maybe a bit more stability there in terms of the factors that are influencing the trade. I think what's interesting for me with this pair is if you look at the chart, the technical setup is really speaking to me. And going back from the beginning of May here, you can see I've outlined those um, this pattern where we've seen from the beginning up until July, we saw the pair pulling up, 
um, and then kind of correcting down. And then the next time it was going up, it was going up a little higher and then correcting down again and then pulling back up again. And we've seen this higher highs, not consistent, but we have seen higher highs throughout the space of a few months. And now we're kind of seeing that the other way. So we're seeing this greater pullback. We're seeing a correction to the upside and then we're seeing a deeper pullback and then correcting again and pulling back. And it's not a very seamless, um, very clean pullback. We're actually seeing these small corrections in the daily daily candlesticks. But we are seeing this pattern emerge. So that leads me to question, is there a possibility that we see a greater pullback here um, to that area that's marked, um, which is of increased uh, in, in importance for me? So I feel like technically there's a lot of signals here pointing at a deeper pullback in, in dollar yen. And I think fundamentally we also have that as well. Hey, so Daniela, Guy and I obviously um, have a like this amount of experience as it comes to some of these crosses. So it's fascinating for us to have you on here kind of dropping all of this knowledge. Here's one, though, I think that's caught a lot of Americans' eyes. It's de- definitely since Brexit and that long sort of trauma that it seemed like Europe and the UK were going through. And we were just kind of on looking here. This is a really interesting cross, though, for a lot of different reasons. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about the euro versus the pound here. And that trend that you drew is also, from a trading perspective, pretty interesting. How are you thinking about this one right now? Yeah. So as I was saying, for me, the dollar is quite traded right now, um, crowded right now. So I think a perfect pair to trade the, the pound, especially some data releasing coming out, is euro pound. Now, it's a, it's a currency that's very active. It's a currency pair that's constantly having moves. And I feel like this descending channel pattern that we've had since the mid-April has been very, very interesting. So we've had a false breakout above it. Um, that was in mid-July. And there was a lot of people speculating that it was it. This was the euro outperforming the pound. We've seen this, as you were saying, Brexit. This has been one of the pairs that's been most closely looked at. Um, but we keep on having these false breakouts. And it's, there's really no... Um, intention here to actually break higher i believe there is an interesting area that we're trying to break lower and that's 0.85 it has attempted to it keeps on bouncing up so it's kind of stuck in an area where it's attempting to move either side but we're not really managing to go anywhere now we have inflation data for the uk tomorrow cpi and ppi data and i know i know a lot of people are talking about inflation not really impacting central banks at the moment we've had most of the major central banks saying their inflation target has already been met to start tapering what they're looking at is at the jobs market and the uk is in quite a sticky situation in the jobs market because even though we are seeing good prints and we had one out this morning there's a furlough scheme that's going on until the end of September, I believe. So it's really dates that's not giving you any real insight and it's not really helping the Bank of England decide. So until probably December or early November, we're not going to have any information, real information of what the Bank of England is actually looking at. So we're kind of in the situation where both currencies are just stagnating. We've seen the euro as well. The, the European Central Bank say they're not planning on becoming right, hiking rates until 2024. The Eurozone has been one of the most notorious areas to hike too early and then regret that. The currency has been struggling since the financial crisis. So it's a very interesting pair, a lot of forces behind it. And I think this descending channel pattern is something to keep an eye out for because we keep on saying these false breakouts and they're not going anywhere. All right, Daniela, uh, I apologize ahead of time. Cotacion assistier on continue 40. How'd I do there? Pretty poorly, right? Most people yeah. know that is the CAC 40, but please, sorry, I tried my best. This <laughs> appears to be breaking out to the upside, but am I getting ahead of myself? No. Well, I mean, 
Europe's been a very interesting uh, area to look out for indices. They've been trailing the US mostly, mostly, but there is a lot of momentum building up. And I selected the CAC here because it's literally 20, 30 points shy of its all-time high. And this all-time high, I believe, was in August 2000. So, I mean, we're looking at the 21-year gap here. We did have an attempt to bounce higher um, just above, um, just before 2008. That didn't go anywhere. So, it's very interesting to see. For me, I just highlighted this chart because I love it. It just shows the great potential in the CAC. I mean, out of the last, what, eight months of the year, we've seen one where there's been a little bit of a struggle. Ever since February, it's just been going higher and higher and higher. We've got these higher highs, higher lows. It's just, I think, perfection to me. I just, I'm really pleased at looking at this chart. <laughs> Guy, how much, how exciting is it to have a guest like Daniela and she is coming back on the macro setup who gets this geeked up about charts because we get geeked up about charts here in the macro setup. All right, here's one that Guy and I have been talking about for the last year or so, uh, you know, these 10 months that we've been doing the macro setup, nearly every single show here because it is mm-hmm. fascinating this is like the og macro asset wouldn't you say there guy Adam? you know what og stands for right i think it stands for uh, original gangster yeah right so it's gold <laughs> okay so we've been in this massive downtrend you know since for about a year right and and it really much like you were talking about the pound um euro you know there's been a couple fits and starts a little false breakouts but it's really stuck to that downtrend what is your take on gold right here well, I, I really enjoyed when I watched Chris's video last week and he was talking about how gold is like drunk and go home, you're not going anywhere. And I literally <laughs> feel like that is the situation. It's funny because at the beginning of last week, we saw that kind of um, meltdown in the gold market flash crash. Um, and if you were to look at this chart first off and you'd be like, oh my God, the last what, eight, nine sessions, gold has performed really well. You know, it was up 2.5% one day, then 1.5, another 1.5. It has been building those gains slowly, but we're not even back above where we were at the end of the week before the flash crash. And look how long it's taken it to just attempt that. So for me, again, gold is trying to capitalize those gains. Gold is trying to pull in all these buyers, but it's just not attempting it. And I think what's really interesting is if we look at where gold um, was last time it pulled back. So what, um, 17.95, I think that's the area that we pulled back to. Mm-hmm. Um, if we look at where the dollar basket and also where yields were. This was end of March, beginning of April when we had that big pullback. Um, if you look, the dollar basket was what? Just literally coming up to 93.5. 10-year yields were at their highest when we saw that peak, what, 174. If you look at where they were last week, that was around 92.75 and 130. So again, it begs the question, if gold hasn't been able to perform when the conditions were best for it, where's it going to go now where yields and the dollar still have a lot more room to move higher? So... Yeah, it's very possible. Daniela sounds like me. That's why I say all the time, if gold can't rally in this environment, when is it going to rally? I mean, you must watch the macro setup from time to time. (laughs) But you know what? I'm glad you have watched, and it's been a thrill having you on with us. We're absolutely going to have you on with us again if your schedule permits, Daniela. Thank you very much for having me. No, it was great having you. Thank you so much, Daniela Subin, an analyst with Daily FX. Dan, take us out. 
uh, please, before we thank our sponsors. Uh, I certainly hope her schedule uh, permits her to come back on here, Guy. That was pretty good, man. I, I really love that that CAC chart because that one, I mean, the fact that she thinks it is exquisite, as I think she said, or something to that extent. Um, you know, listen, that's what we try to do. Look for those breakouts. And then, you know, I do think it's interesting. I love the idea of a failed breakout. We talked about it on numerous occasions here. It is not just kind of Katie bar the door, as you say, once you get that breakout, um, you you know what I mean? We've just got to track that price action. So thanks to Daniela. That was a lot of fun. Guy Bami, thank you, buddy. It was fun. And typically the word a lot of the folks in the UK use is brilliant. Everything is brilliant. I wish I was, but I'm not. But I want to thank Daniela <laughs> Subin Hawthorne. She's a market analyst with IG. She will be back. Today's macro setup was brought to you by our presenting sponsors, IGUS, one of the fastest growing Forex dealers in North America. And of course, Open Exchange. By the way, Brendan Bresney works at Open Exchange. He's very upset that we didn't mention the Bitcoin today. I promise we'll do it next week. Open Exchange manages virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. I will see you, as will Dan, next week, August 24th, on the Macro Setup. Have a good day, folks.